theme this summer has been living the Beatitudes. And we began with, I'm blessed because I'm poor in spirit. And we clicked off each one as we've gone along. And we've gotten to our uh, next one, which is, I'm blessed because I'm merciful. And we have Brother Jason McDade coming to us tonight to present that sermon. And I remember... uh, in 2007, Nicole and I and the girls, we moved to Memphis, Tennessee. And that's when I got to know the McDade family. And, uh, of course, got to know Brother Gary first. I was at the School of Preaching, and it was during the lectureship. And probably a few of us were looking for a place to kind of hide out a little bit. And I had a whole uh, group of students coming by, and, and they were uh, going to go listen to, uh, to Brother Gary McDade. And I said, I said where are you going? They said, well, we're going to go listen to uh, Brother McDade. I said, really? I said, well, I'll just go with you. One of the best decisions I ever made. And uh, Brother Gary McDade is a wonderful preacher, and Jason is also a wonderful preacher. And it's been a blessing to know that family all these many years. And I'm thankful for them and the good work they do. And uh, Brother Jason came out last uh, last year during our summer series, and we've... Uh, Changed our dates to Thursday nights. We wanted to be able to offer people in the community uh, to be able to come and benefit from these sermons. And it's a whole lot easier to get a brother on a Thursday night than it is a Wednesday night. And so that helped us a lot. And hopefully uh, Brother Jason will uh, always uh, be willing to come out when we uh, offer the invitation to him. He's done a wonderful job. And we look forward tonight to listen to, listening to him talk about, I am blessed because I am merciful. Come speak to us, brother. Good evening. It's great to be here with you, and I apologize. I was running behind a little bit, and uh, there is a reason for that. I've been looking forward to this time with you for quite some time now, and this morning I had a choice. I could either write up my outline in the morning and then um, cook the chicken, or (laughs) I could cook the chicken and write my outline later. So I spent a lot of time on this barbecue chicken, and I I should have brought some, but uh, (laughs) I didn't. Anyway, the chicken was good, and I'm ready to go. Thank you, Rick, for the invitation. I really appreciate it. And to this congregation, I'm very grateful. It's good to see familiar faces, and... uh, it's just really a good opportunity to have to study this particular topic, which I think is a very pleasant topic. Sometimes we have to talk on subjects that are unpleasant, but tonight we're going to have an enjoyable study on I am blessed because I am merciful. One reason I was excited about preparing for this sermon is because several years ago I noticed two things. I noticed that a lot of preachers and teachers and whenever we're talking will use the terms mercy and grace interchangeably. They are connected very closely, and so we use them interchangeably. But there are several passages in the Bible that show there's grace and mercy. In First uh, and Second Timothy, verse, chapter one, verse two, in Titus one, verse four, and in Second John, uh, it is verse three. Uh, first, yeah, hang on, Second John, verse three. I'll get it right. All of these say grace, mercy, and peace 
to the person that's being addressed. So they're delineated, grace and mercy. And here in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, puts emphasis on the term mercy. And though I believe most Christians are merciful by nature, um, it's good to look at the term and to see exactly what it means so that we will be able to be merciful in a very real and tangible way. I have 10 points, and I'm going to spend, on average, about three or four minutes on each of them, so I'll speak about my usual 35 to 40 minutes, so we won't spend an hour on each of these points, and hopefully this will be helpful. What I want to do to begin with is continue what I've just said and show that mercy is not grace. And though they are very close and they interrelate, they're two separate things. And so when we talk about mercy, we're not necessarily talking about grace. And when we're talking about grace, it may not include the idea of mercy. And so it's good to have this opportunity to study the subject. Let's look at Romans, or rather Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 16. This passage says, Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice as Christians, we can boldly come before God in prayer. And then what are we doing? We are asking for grace for mercy and grace to help in time of need. Two different things. And so we see that they're very closely related with God and with His love, but they're different. When we think of grace, we can reduce it to a one-word definition. I think of love. And many times when you have the word grace, you can substitute the word love. And, of course, grace, I believe, too, means God's unmerited favor or toward us, or unconditional love in that way. But what about mercy? I think mercy can have a one-word definition as well. Mercy means to help someone else that's in need. That's really what we're doing when we show mercy. So blessed are the, are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. When we help other people when they're in need, we will be helped in our time of need. And so that is basically it. So to bring it down to the one word definition, I would say kindness. So what is mercy? Mercy is kindness. Kindness. Many times Jesus had compassion on the people and he would do miracles. We see that God is very pitiful and that we are to have mercy because God is merciful, Luke chapter 6 in verse 36. So the significant thing there is that mercy is kindness. A dictionary definition says this, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. In other words, if you went to court with a traffic ticket and they dismissed it, well, that would be their mercy because they forgave that ticket. And that would be the textbook definition here. It kind of goes hand in hand with Ephesians 4, verse 32, which says, Be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, 
forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Being willing to forgive other people. As Jesus said in the model prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so we want to be merciful so that we may also have mercy in that way. But it's really more than just forgiving someone of hurting us or God forgiving uh, the sins of mankind. It also has in with it just simple acts of kindness for people that are in dire need or in some need at all. In uh, Proverbs 14 verse 21, it says that we are to be merciful to the poor. Well, there's no forgiveness going on there when we're being merciful for the poor. But there is mercy being involved if we're helping them pay a light bill or giving them groceries or whatever the situation might be. And that is showing mercy to them. It's showing kindness. It's an act of kindness. So this is a good definition, I think, of what mercy is as we've kind of sewed it up in, in these comments. Mercy is not grace. And to carry this thought forward, the difference between grace and mercy, and I may be making a big deal about grace and mercy, but after this, after tonight, you will start hearing people using grace and mercy, and you'll be like, he's talking about mercy, but he's saying grace. And when you understand that, you can put it together, because it can be confusing if you're talking about mercy, but you're saying grace, which does happen. So what are some similarities and differences? Point number two, between mercy and grace. Similarities, both love and mercy are motivations for acts of kindness. If you love someone, you'll show them kindness. Or if you have mercy, which is an act of kindness, that obviously follows. Forgiveness Mercy can involve forgiveness, as does love. And then sacrifice. We can certainly understand that with God's great love that he showed us in giving his son. That's sacrifice. Mercy also can be involved in that, such as giving or helping someone else when it's going to hurt you a little bit or even a lot. You want to help someone else. So that would be sacrifice. And then Love has empathy where you put yourself in the other person's shoes. Mercy does the same thing. You see someone in need, you want to help them because you understand their situation. And then differences. What are some differences? Love builds relationships. And when we have love, it can help our character and build relationships with other people. Mercy is something that helps build those relationships. And had we the time to discuss it all, that would be fine and well, but I just want to state these and then move on to some examples and to uh, some other things. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you may want to turn over there and peruse through the definition of what love is. Love has all of these characteristics beginning in verse 4 and following, but mercy or someone that is merciful may not have these characteristics. Just because a person is merciful does not mean that there's any love in their heart at all. So love has all of these things, but a merciful person can be wicked. A merciful person can be impatient. And these are the opposite of these verses here in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. A merciful person may be jealous. They may be prideful. 
someone that's merciful, merciful may misbehave. They may be an evil thinker. They may rejoice in error. Just because a person is merciful does not mean there's any love in their heart at all. So, can you have mercy without grace? This is the third point. We're really moving on. Mercy without grace. How could that be? Well, one example puts it together. The man's name is Jonah. Remember Jonah? He was told to go to Nineveh, which is part of Assyria. They had tortured God's people. He hated them, wanted to see them destroyed, so he went the other way. I'm not going there. I don't want it. I do not want to preach to them. So what did God do? He sent the storm. He was thrown overboard. The fish swallowed him and it vomited him up on the land. And now he's going. Does he really want to go there? I would suggest that he does not from reading the entire book of Jonah. And you, you're familiar with what happens. He goes to Nineveh and he preaches. That's a very merciful thing to do. He's giving them what they need to be saved. And he says, repent. That was his message. Then what does he do? He goes on the hillside and is looking forward for their destruction. I cannot wait until these people are burned off the face of the earth. Oh, that's going to be great. And then remember how the book concludes. God is trying to show Jonah that these people have value. He says, he says to him, don't you think that there's some value here with these people? In the last few verses, I'll let you reread that on your own. But he didn't have, Jonah didn't have the love in his heart that he needed. He did a merciful act in preaching to them and they obeyed. But did he really love them? Did he have the grace? So there's a difference there. Now, to show you again, uh, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, and we'll see that Jonah's not the only person that can preach with a bad attitude or unloving heart. In Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, now this is Paul preaching, or writing here rather, and he says, And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident in my bonds, which are more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. And one preacheth Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So he's saying that there are people that in his time were preaching with the wrong motives, they are like Jonah in a way. They're not looking for positive results or they're doing it, as he says here, to make Paul's situation more dire. That's not a person that has a love completely in their heart. But they're doing something that's merciful as is clearly seen that Paul is going to rejoice 
because the gospel is being preached. You may have someone that has a horrible attitude, a dark heart inside, but if they're preaching the truth, Paul says, well, I can rejoice because the truth is being taught. It sounds odd, but that's what the Bible has for us to, to, to learn here. And thus we are learning the difference between grace and mercy. But um, I think, and we'll see here in a minute, some motivations for mercy. I don't like being negative all the time, but uh, if we bring this down home, we can be indifferent to someone and still show them mercy. Not that we hate anyone, but you may do an act of kindness for someone that you don't necessarily love. You don't even know the person. Perhaps someone's coming in a building and they're holding a lot of things and you open the door for them. Well, what would be your motivation? There could be many different motivations for opening the door for someone, but you don't necessarily love that person as much as you would your family member. And so there's a difference in the level of love that we have for people um, that's clearly seen throughout the Bible with the favoritism that uh, happened in the Old Testament with, say, for example, Jacob and Joseph with his coat of many colors. And we could go on talking about that for a long time. Another thing is in the story of the Good Samaritan, we see that the Good Samaritan stopped and he's being a neighbor to the man who was beat up on the side of the road. But I don't remember in that passage of Scripture it talking about and focusing on the love that the man had for the Samaritan, but rather the mercy that he showed toward the Samaritan, the kind deeds that he was doing. Who is my neighbor? Your neighbor is someone in need and we need to help them. However, Jesus said, too, that we are to love our enemies. We're to love everyone. And so any act of kindness that the Christian has comes out of a heart of love. That's the next point. What are some motivations for mercy? Point number four. The first, the foremost, the most important, and the most obvious is loving kindness is the word. The word loving kindness in the Old Testament is translated 153 times mercy and three times it's translated merciful. So loving kindness, having love for someone with a kind heart will extend mercy. Now that's really what we're looking for and what we, what we do whenever we are knocking doors to bring, encourage people to come to church or whether we're studying the Bible with someone or whether we are uh, like you will do tomorrow night enjoy one another's company having games and things of that nature we need that encouragement that loving heart loving kindness like we mentioned earlier in Ephesians 4 verse 32 and be ye kind one to another tender hearted forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake has also forgiven you that's a good motivation for being merciful. There are other motivations being, as we saw with Jonah, being compelled to do something or being forced to do an act of mercy that you don't agree with. The mercy may not be coming from you, but maybe from the person that sent you. But also having respect for other people or you just feel like it's the right thing to do. This is my duty to do this. So there are many motivations for mercy. 
Mercy is a requirement from Christians. And I want us to look at some passages of Scripture regarding this. In Luke 6, verse 36, and I quoted this earlier, but I want us to take the time to turn over there and read it. On Wednesday nights, we're studying Proverbs, and uh, a close friend of our family who's passed away, Brother J.A. McNutt, wrote the book. And some of the questions in the book are very simple, and you know the answer, and you could write it in the blank, but he has a verse there. And so we turn to the verse just to verify, yes, this is the answer. And uh, I think there's value in doing that, and that's what I want to do with some of these verses that we're familiar with. Luke 6 Verse 36, it says, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father is merciful. We're merciful because God is merciful. But it says, be merciful as your Father is merciful. Well, it's impossible for us to do that because God is infinite and He saved us from our sins through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And we can't come close to that. But we can be merciful. Another passage that we need to look at is Proverbs 21, verse 13. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13. This is one that's in our Proverbs class. It says, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor... He shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. So if we're not merciful, at some point it's saying we will cry out and we will not be heard. We're commanded to be merciful as God is merciful. Being merciful is a requirement of Christians. If we do not show the kindness to others, if we refuse to help others in our own way, we will give an account for that before God in the day of judgment. Some people just don't want to help anybody. It is a requirement for us to have the love and the kindness in our hearts to help someone in need. That's a requirement. Now, turn to James chapter 2. We're going to look at James 2, verses 13 through 17. James chapter 2. Verse 12 says, So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath shown no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. So just here, we have, and you remember earlier, I mentioned going to court with a traffic ticket, and they dismiss it and and forgave it to you, and the court has the right to do that by law. Well, here, you have this statement. For God, for He, for God, shall have judgment without mercy. So what this statement is saying is God is going to judge us without any mercy, with no help to who? God, He will have judgment. God shall have judgment without mercy. 
that hath shown no mercy, to those that have not shown mercy, we will be judged without mercy. So we need to definitely help others. God will help us if we help others. But if we refuse, He will not help us in the day of judgment. Now, the rest of that passage says, And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. One time I got a speeding ticket in Memphis, and there's the bypass that goes around the city. And I was going with the flow of traffic, which, you know, that is uh, dangerous, but anything is dangerous on, on the highways, and the law is, in Memphis anyway, go with the flow of traffic. Well, the roads were pretty bad around I-240, and I dodged a pothole. And when I did, it looked like I was driving erratically, so they pulled me over. And... Uh, I went the speed limit for five miles after that till my exit, and there were about a hundred cars that passed me, so I felt more safe doing the speed limit. So I went to court, and I sat down, and the lady said, uh, what are you doing going this fast on I-240? And I said, have you been on I-240? <laughs> she said, get out of here. Here, dismissed it, you know, really that quick. Because if you're driving safely, that's what they want you to do. And so that was mercy. And I was happy about that. I was excited to leave to know that I dodged a pothole and, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but it would have beat my car up. But in any way, that was gone. That I was forgiven for that. And it makes you happy. And so we have this, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Well, had we the time to look at God's justice and His mercy and how He provided a way for us to be saved, we don't have the time to discuss that tonight, but that is involved in this passage because God's mercy is still just. When we look at His uh, justice, His grace, and His mercy, we see that this mercy that God has in paying the debt for us through His Son, our sin debt, gives us opportunity to have mercy instead of judgment. Well, let's continue with verse 14 of James chapter 2. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things that are needful for the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. So someone comes in dire need. They need clothes. They need shelter. They need food. And you say, depart in peace. Be ye warmed and filled. And you don't have the slightest care for them. Whether you love them or not. You're not extending that mercy. And that's the type of mercy that God wants us to extend to one another and to our fellow man. And when we do, He will have mercy for us instead of judgment against us. So that's good. And then turn over again, a flip a page or two, to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Now the word mercy is not listed here in these seven things that we are to add to our faith. But brotherly kindness is. And this shows that being merciful is a part 
of the Christian life, and it is one of the things necessary for us to be perfect. We cannot be perfect if we don't have kindness or mercy in our lives. So here it says, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, that's mercy, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye should neither be barren or unfruitful in the work of in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but he that that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that God hath purged him of his old sins. We need to be merciful. I am blessed because I am merciful. Showing kindness to others. The next point that I have regards a worldly concept of mercy and I wanted to go ahead and, and put this in here because of uh, the way that the world is, and I think it's necessary. But there are some misconceptions regarding mercy. And I hope that we won't uh, get thrown off track here by me mentioning a couple of these. I'm not going to mention one because it's too heinous. But one thing that people will do as an act of mercy, which is sinful, is euthanasia. Someone is in agony, and so to be merciful, you put them out of their misery by killing them. Dr. Kevorkian, was that his name? He would kill the older people. Or if someone is on the battlefield, shoot him in the head. And that's, that's not right. And then another merciful idea that I don't agree with and I don't think is biblical. We don't have the time to look at it, but I think the Bible is very clear regarding socialism and communism. Oh, it's merciful for the whole country to have a system. But if you're not part of this group, we're going to take you down to the river and shoot you in the head. And that happened to millions of people in China a hundred years ago. And it's an ugly scene in Russia with the communism that they had. If you had property, they would say, what are you doing owning property? You have this big farm out here. It should go to the state. They would take it away from you and put you in the gulag, which was in Siberia, a place that is frozen and is horrible conditions. To read about that is really depressing and to understand it. But that's not merciful to be merciful just for a group of people. Christ died for every individual as well as every group. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that would include everyone that whosoever, that's every individual. So the Bible is written for group, everybody and for each individual person. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you. And so mercy should be extended to every person through God's Word. Well, that's a point that I thought was needed to be made. That there are misunderstandings regarding mercy. How do we know how to have true mercy? By going by the Word of God. 
living it and learning it daily. Always growing. Second Peter 3 and verse 18. Well, let's look at the Christian's mercy. We've talked about what mercy is and what it is not and how it's connected with God's love and grace. What type of mercy or types of things are associated with mercy in the Christian's life? Let's look first at Romans chapter 11. Romans 11, and we'll read verses 31 and 32. Romans eleven thirty one says, Even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them and uh, them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. God wants to have mercy upon everyone, and one way that that happens is our being merciful on others to the point that we're willing to evangelize to them. Again, even so, these also now not believed that through your mercy, they also might obtain mercy. Through our mercy of doing God's will, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Others can obtain mercy because of our being merciful. Another passage that I'd like to mention regarding Christian's faith is in John chapter 13. In John 13, verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. So here you have grace, you have love involved, and this shows how closely connected these two ideas are. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. How is the world going to know that we have love to each other? By being merciful. And that shows how closely they're connected. You can have love, but if you're not showing your love through kindness, then the world is not going to know that you have love. And so God wants us to be loving and merciful to one another. Philippians chapter 2. Let's turn back to the book of Philippians and look at chapter 2. The mindset that the Christian has is one of mercy. And we're familiar with this passage of Scripture. And it shows the type of mercy that we need to have. We looked at the passage earlier that we are to be merciful as God is merciful. And this shows us in more depth what that means. Philippians 2 said, If there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others, making sure other people have what they need. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now that is, a, is deep. And that shows the level to which we need to have love and mercy for one another. Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. John 15, uh, verses 13 through 14. Now there are some limits to mercy. And if I stopped here, there are some conscientious people that might have... Uh, some uncomfortable thoughts because you feel like you just can't be merciful enough. How can I help everybody? I can't do that. This person is in need and I can't help them. Mercy involves helping someone, but there are limits for us. You can only help someone if you have the ability to help someone. If someone comes to you and needs something to eat and you can't feed yourself, you can't help the other person to eat. Being merciful shows that you have something someone else does not have. Now, we know that the Bible teaches in James chapter 2 that there will always be poor people among the brethren. Yet, we are commanded to be merciful, which means that we all have something other people don't. What is it that we have that other people do not. One thing in a tangible way is our ability to serve. Every one of us can serve. We're commanded to do so. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 35 and also chapter 10 and verse 44, the Bible says those that would be the greatest in the kingdom or the chiefest among us would be servant of all. Being a servant like Jesus was as he washed the disciples' feet there in John chapter 13. So we have that ability that we can be of service to other people. The other thing is the salvation message. We can be servants and we can proclaim salvation. That's something we have that other people do not have. And I believe that was the thrust of Romans chapter 11 verse 32. And then finally, there's God's mercy. This is actually point number nine. But God's mercy is infinite. He can help continually. In James chapter 1 and verse 17, the Bible says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So God can have infinite mercy. And we see that too in that Christ comes to save all men of all the sins that have ever been committed. God's mercy is infinite. And then finally, I keep saying finally, there's a couple other things. God's mercy is conditional. 
And I think you can see that from the things that we've already mentioned. If we are merciful, we will have mercy. James chapter 2 and verse 13. You can see God's condition of mercy in the book of Judges. When the people are faithful to Him, He takes care of them. When they are wicked, He allows their enemies to come in and to wreak havoc with them until they turn back to Him and God would send a judge and they would deliver Him. So there's conditions regarding God's mercy and His love. What are the conditions of God's love, His salvation? Do you know what they are? If a person in this neighborhood is lost in sin, are you able to show them the mercy required for them to attain the mercy of God? Can you tell them what to do in order to be saved? There's only five things. They are first, we need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, Hebrews eleven six. So we must listen to the gospel. That's the first thing is give someone an opportunity to listen. And people, that's the hardest part. People don't want to listen. But we are responsible for giving people the opportunity to study and to, per- to perceive the gospel, to listen to it. Then we are to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God or we will die in our sins, John eight twenty four. We need to repent from sin, Luke thirteen three, or we'll perish. We need to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If we do, He will confess us before His Father in heaven. That's Matthew 10, 32 and 33. And then we need to be baptized. Baptism washes away our sins. Acts 22 and verse 16. We need to be able to communicate that to people. And then we are to live faithfully from here out. Are you here tonight and not a member of the church? These are the things that you need to do in order to be saved. When we're baptized, we're placed into the church of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. And that's where everyone that is saved is. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. If you're here tonight and you've not been baptized, you're not in the church. Baptism puts you into the church. Therefore, we need to be baptized in order to be saved Acts twenty two sixteen, and to be put into the church. I want to conclude in this way. If you would turn with me to Psalm one thirty six. Hope you'll be thinking as we read this and as we conclude about your soul. If you've not been baptized, if you're a member of the church and. You haven't been merciful and you need to make that right with God in a public way. You have the opportunity to do that here tonight. Or if you have any public sin in your life that you need to let everyone know that you've moved on from that and you've repented. And we can pray with you and for you. But I want to conclude, and this is a difficult passage for me to read. I'll be reading the the entire psalm and then we will conclude. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. 
Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him who alone doth great wonders, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that by wisdom made the heavens, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that made great lights. I told you it's hard for me to get through. For His mercy endureth forever. To Him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that made great lights, for His mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for His mercy. I told you it was hard for me to get through, but I want us to read this. I worked for six months to try not to get emotional right now. (laughs) Rick invited me. He said, come on down. I've been thinking about it. I don't read this this chapter often because it's so moving. Wow. Let me just do this because I don't know if I can get, (laughs) get through it. Rick, would you come and read this to us? And then, if you have any need to save your soul, please come forward. Picking up in verse 7. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endureth forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever. And brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endureth forever. With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever. And made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which smote great kings, for his mercy endureth forever. And slew famous kings, for his mercy endureth forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endureth forever. And Og, the king of Bashan, for his mercy endureth forever. And gave their land for an in, for an heritage, for his mercy endureth forever. Even an heritage unto Israel, his servant, for his mercy endureth forever. Who remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy endureth forever. And hath redeemed us from our enemies, for his mercy endureth forever who giveth food to all flesh, for His mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of heaven, 
for His mercy endureth forever. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation tonight, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.